Well, it's great to see you all. How many of you ready for Christmas? Is it just me or has Christmas just kind of snuck up on us this year? I mean, I mean, I'm obviously it's on the calendar. We planned for it with Christmas Eve. None of that snuck up on us, but it's like it dawned on me the other day, okay, Christmas is right around the corner, so I, I hope you're ready. Have you been to Santa Claus and told him what you want? How many of you are hopeful he's bringing what you want this year? I mean, a, few, a few of you guys. Hey, there was a couple of guys I heard about a while back that they were fortunate enough, fortunate enough to get uh, season tickets to Arrowhead Stadium to watch the Kansas City Chiefs play football, and uh, they were so excited about this. They loved every second of it, but uh, the first day, the very first game, they couldn't help but notice that there was uh, an empty seat next to theirs, and they're wondering, who, who in the world has a ticket to the Chiefs play football, and they don't come, and that was a mystery to them, but they enjoyed the game anyway. The very next week, they had another home game, same thing, the seat right next to theirs was empty, and they were thinking, could it be that there's this one seat here in the entire stadium that hasn't been sold yet? We've got friends that would love to buy this ticket and come to our, the games with us, so they went down to the ticket office after the game, and they inquired about this empty seat, and they said, is it still for sale? Can we buy it? And the ticket agent told them, well, I'm sorry, guys, unfortunately for you, but that seat has been sold. It's a season ticket holder, and it's not available. And so they were kind of bummed by that. There was nothing they could do about it. But nevertheless, week after week, that seat sat empty. It was like that for the entire season. And finally, in late December, it is the final game of the regular season. It is week 17 of the NFL schedule. And they show up to the game and to their surprise, there is a dude sitting in that chair that was always empty. And they couldn't believe it. And so they, they approached the guy and said, you've got to tell us, where have you been all season long? How come this is your first game? And the guy looked at them very, um, you know, a little bit of anger in his eyes. He says, please don't ask. Well, I don't know if somebody says to me, please don't ask, that just makes me want to ask. <laughs> and so these guys were like, no, no, you've got to tell us. Where have you been all season? We've been wondering why this seat has been sitting empty. And the guy didn't really want to say anything. But finally, because of their pestering, he finally said, very exasperatedly, he said, look, here's the deal. My wife bought this season ticket for me last summer, and she decided to keep it as a surprise Christmas gift. Yeah. So ladies, if you are planning to get your husband season tickets to the NFL next year, please don't wait to Christmas to give it to him. He will not appreciate it like you think he will. So, well, you know, as tragic as that sounds, there are actually far worse things than missing football at Christmas. A worse tragedy would be to miss Jesus at Christmas. But unfortunately, millions and millions of our fellow American citizens, they will miss Jesus this Christmas. And, and really sadly, many of them, if not most of them, will miss Jesus their entire lives. Here at New Life, we're all about the same mission that Jesus had. Jesus came, the Bible tells us, to seek and to save the lost. And I'm telling you, here at New Life, we don't want anybody to miss Jesus. Not at Christmas, not at any other time. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That verse has been our foundational verse for this entire sermon series that we have been in for Christmas. 
And um, this verse, I hope it's one that hopefully you even have memorized or you're very familiar with. When, when Jesus said, I'm the light of life, basically what he's saying is, I am the opposite. I'm the light, and I, that is the opposite of darkness. Now, most of the time when the Bible referenced darkness, it is a direct correlation to sin. When somebody says, I'm in darkness, that means they are lost. And so Jesus is saying this, I am the light that came to the world. I'm the one that's going to shed light on what is broken in this world. I'm the one that's going to reveal how you can leave darkness, your life of sin, and follow me into light. I'm going to show you, Jesus is saying, I'm the light of life. I'm going to show you that you can be lost, but you can be found. You can go from darkness to light. That's what Jesus means. And we also have learned that this light that came, this Jesus, he was the one that also removed all of our fears. And so when we move from darkness, a sinful life, a state of lostness, and we move into the light, a state of salvation, a state of being found, that there's this process here where God removes our fears. We remove the fear of the unknown, removes the fear of being lost, removes the fear of evil, removes the fear of death, removes the fear of going to hell itself. The light of the world. So this birth that we're celebrating uh, this season about the birth of Jesus, it truly is a remarkable thing. But I have a question for you. Does it come with equally remarkable responsibility? Maybe a simpler way to ask that question would be this. Okay, Jesus, you're the light in the world. You saved me from my sins. I know I'm going from, to heaven now. Now, what do you want me to do with that? How do I fit in to your master plan? I know you're the light of the world, but where do I fit in all this? What do you want from me? You know, one of my wife and I's favorite movies is, a, is, a, is an older movie now. It's over 20 years old, but it's a, it's a movie called Simon Birch. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie before. It's one of our favorites, but um, this movie is about a 12-year-old boy named Simon. Simon was born with an undersized heart, and it stunted his physical growth. In fact, in the movie, they, like, they didn't think Simon would live past the day of his birth, but he did. And he grew to the age of 12, but, but in that whole process, he only stood a couple feet tall. In the movie, Simon is convinced that God has a special plan for his life. And the very reason that he was born the way that he was is because God was going to use that for his glory. And so the whole movie, he's telling everybody who would listen, God's going to make me a hero. And one day, you're all going to see it, that God's, there's a reason for this. He has a master plan. I'm in his plan, and this is why I am. And one day, you will all see what God is doing. Well, towards the end of the movie, Simon starts to get frustrated and he's beginning to doubt that God has a special plan for him anymore. In his mind, too much time has passed. God should have revealed it by this point. And, and, And there's this one very emotional scene. He is standing in a cemetery over the grave of a loved one and he looks up at the sky and he says, God, what do you want from me? I don't know, have you ever felt like that before? Have, have you been there? Where you say, God, none of this makes any sense. I don't know what you're doing. I can't see it. I don't know what you want from me. Well, in the movie, Simon goes to see his minister for help 
with this feeling, with these emotions that he was having. And there's this really emotional scene in the movie between the minister of his church and Simon, and where Simon is begging his minister, please tell me that God has a plan for me. He said, I used to think that he did, but now I'm not so sure. And what I think is the saddest part of the entire movie, the minister, who's very uncomfortable with this whole conversation, he looks back at Simon and he says, Simon, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that God has a special plan for your life. And so Simon, feeling very dejected, feeling very down, feeling very confused, he slowly walks out of the minister's office. I don't know, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever wondered, God, what do you want from me? What do you have for me? What's my role in this world? Why am I the way that I am? Well, I don't want to spoil the movie for you in case you want to go, you know, well, not go see it, but you want to rent it, I guess. But I want to spoil the ending for you. But I'll just tell you this. It's got a great, great ending. And yes, God does eventually reveal his master plan in Simon's life. There it is, has real purpose, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful ending to the movie. And um, it, it reminds me that once in a while, Hollywood can still get it right. But what about us? Is there anything about the birth of Christ? Is there anything about this Christmas season that can communicate to us what is it that God wants from us? And I'm here to tell you that there, the answer to that question is absolutely yes. There is something about this Christmas Eve that can absolutely guide you into this answer to this question. What does God want from me? Let's go back to what Jesus said. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks or whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the, what does he call it? The light of life. Let's analyze this verse a little bit deeper than we have the last two weeks together. It says, whoever follows me. What exactly did Jesus mean when he says, follow me? Well, to follow means to believe. To believe what? To believe that Jesus died and he rose to life. He's alive still to this day and he's coming back. That's what we believe. So to follow me is to believe that and to trust in me with all of your heart. Now the results of that following, that belief, that faith, the results of that are the light of life for the believer. That would be salvation. I've left darkness and I've followed the light. I've, I believe that Jesus died and rose to life is coming back again. Now that light that we receive because of our following Jesus, that light that we get, well, that light is forever mounted, it is hardwired, and it is burning bright in you, and that sets you apart from those that the Bible says are still living in darkness. And that's how the Bible describes it, that those who are not saved are walking in darkness. So when you look at this verse, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he's bringing that light, he's shedding that light into a dark place where sin reigns. Where at one point we were all walking in darkness before we received the light of life. And so there's a difference. We get that light, we're no longer walking in darkness, but there are millions and millions who do live in walk in darkness. That the light of life is not in them. There is a difference John chapter three, verse 19, um, tells us this about those walking in darkness. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, so that's Jesus has come, but people love darkness instead of the light. Boy, is that still not a descriptive verse for the world we live in today? 
The light has come, but people love darkness instead because their deeds are evil. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But, verse 21, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. They have followed the Lord. They have left darkness. They've, lo- they've left this state of lostness and they follow the Lord into the light. So we have this light that lives in us. We are no longer people that walk in darkness. That's the whole point. So the question now is, I don't walk in darkness anymore. Try not to. But God, what do you want from me? I go to church every Sunday. You know, I, I give to the church. I, I try to be helpful. I, you know, but really, God, what do you want from me? That's a great question. Here, check out this verse in Ephesians chapter five, verse eight. I think the apostle Paul, using some of the words and some of the word pictures that Jesus used, answers that question to some degree for us. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight, it says this, for you were once in darkness. That's a great description. He's talking about Christians. We all were once in darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. So, you start to ask this question, God, what do you want from me? Paul says, live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. So, interesting, according to this passage, Paul is telling the church, he goes, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to live as children of the light, and you need to find out. You need to discover. You need to pursue. You, you, you need to go after those things that pleases God. But I tell you, we can spend a lot of time as Christians thinking and dwelling on the question, God, what do you want me to do? We can sit around and we can think about it so much, we can brainstorm about it so much, so much so that the very dwelling on the idea produces a life of lackluster nothingness for Jesus. You just sit around and think about it all the time. But Paul tells the church, here's the deal, here's the reality of your situation. You are children of the light. In other words, the light of life has come into you. You're children of the light. You are connected with Jesus because you followed him. And so what Paul's challenging the church to do, and what I think he's challenging us is, he said, now it's time to get active and start figuring out what pleases the Lord. Get after that. Don't just sit around, but get after it. And for starters, the fruit of this light, it looks like this. The fruit of it is goodness, righteousness, and truth. And that's a great place to start when it comes to the question, God, what do you want me to do? So if you're taking notes this morning, why don't you write this down? What does God want from me? I can tell you this for without a doubt from scripture. God wants out of your life goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what he wants from you. That's what he wants from you. That really doesn't have anything to do with what you do per se in specifics. This is about a state of being, if you will, that my life will be a reflection of goodness, a good life, a righteousness, truth. If you're feeling right now maybe a little bit directionless, Maybe the question isn't so much, what is it that God wants me to do? Maybe the question today for you is, what is it exactly that God wants me to see? What is it that God wants me to see? What does he want me to see in myself? What, you know, maybe a question would be, are there any areas of my life right now that are being compromised? Maybe I, I see myself as somebody that, that, that is a child of the light, that's saved, But you know what, if I'm being honest, there are some things. There are some pieces of my life that are probably still very much a part of the darkness. 
there's some things that I haven't surrendered. Maybe one of the roadblocks to answering the question, God, what do you want me to do? Isn't it about a list of things to do? It's maybe about what God wants you to see in yourself. So is there any part of your social life as you interact with friends and you go about, is there any part of that that doesn't look like goodness, righteousness, and truth? When you think about your work life, you go to work every day and the people you interact with and maybe the integrity or the lack of integrity you bring to your business dealings, maybe, is there any part of that that doesn't look like goodness, righteousness, and truth? Maybe with your family, is there any part of your family or how you interact or the examples you set for your kids, is there any part of that that doesn't look like goodness, righteousness, and truth? Only you can answer those questions and like I said, it may not be about what is the God you want me to do, it's God, what do you want me to see? In me. What are you opening my eyes to, Lord? And, and if the Lord is opening your eyes to something right now, then, then I think the, the counsel of Scripture would be to come back to the light. Just not, you know, don't give 80%, give 100% to the Lord. Repent of these parts of your life. Like, you know, I'm just doing my own thing over here. And, and repent of those things and start pursuing goodness, righteousness, and truth, every ounce of your being, and, and, and get in that pure walk with the Lord. Why, why is that so important? Why is all 100% of you walking with God? Why is that so important? Well, Paul gives us a reason why that's so vital. I'd point you to Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. It's gonna be on the screen. Why is that so important? Paul says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. This is an ideal that Paul is telling all Christians to aim for. Here's the reality. Every generation that has ever lived is warped and corrupt. Even the generation we live in now, there's, it's a dark place that we live in. And so as you pursue the Lord 100%, maybe the Lord's opened your eyes that, that maybe not 100% is walking in the light, but get there. It's like, why? So you can be blameless and pure. That's the pursuit. That's the ideal. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then here's what will happen. This is some of the same language that Jesus used. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. So it's like say something. If you walk as a child of God, a children of light, you've got the light of life in you, there is something about your life that even though we are in a warped and crooked generation and there is darkness all around us, there's something about your life that will shine among that darkness. What God, what is it you want from me? If you're still taking notes, I think what God wants from each and every one of us is this. God wants you to shine. God wants you to shine out amongst this corrupt generation we live in. He wants you to shine in the darkness. If you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna spend just a few minutes here in Matthew chapter five. We're gonna start in verse 14. And while you're finding Matthew 5, 14, let me tell you that uh, this is a remarkable passage of scripture. This is an illustration that Jesus told that uh, is perhaps many consider one of the greatest illustrations that he ever gave in all of his teaching. And even if you're not familiar with the exact words of Jesus, you are familiar probably with the illustration. In Matthew chapter five, verse 14, this is what Jesus said. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
We take the words of Jesus, and you can easily pull from that. What does God want from me? God wants you to shine. He wants goodness and righteousness and truth to shine from your life. Now, <clears throat> these words that Jesus spoke, this illustration, it's actually found in the middle of a larger sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably one of Jesus' most famous sermons. And if you wanted to read the whole thing, start at Matthew chapter 5 and read all the way through Matthew chapter 7, and you've got the bulk of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In fact, much of what we believe, a lot of our doctrine, a lot of our practice, and the way we behave as Christians, it comes from Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. So he says this in the middle of that sermon, and he gives this sermon um, on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've had the great privilege to stand on this hillside. There's this area around the Sea of Galilee that, that most people say that's, this is the general vicinity of where Jesus gave this sermon, and it's a very famous place in Israel. It's known as the Mount of Beatitudes, and because Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is where he gave us the Beatitudes, they've called this hilltop the Mount of Beatitudes. It's a beautiful place. The picture behind me, you can see how beautiful it is. You've got the Sea of Galilee out in the background. You see this sloping hill. You can visualize many people standing there. Most Bible scholars believe that Jesus was probably close to the bottom of the hill, preaching up at the people. We don't know how many people were there, but this is the general area where that happened, and it's, it's a very special place, and, and you can easily visualize Jesus giving this sermon when you're there. At the top of this hill, there is a church. It's a Catholic church that commemorates um, the place where Jesus delivered this incredible sermon. The church by itself is really something to see. It's a beautiful, beautiful church. But just for me personally, when I walked in the Holy Land and to walk in the places that Jesus did, it was a very special moment for me because like, this is the area where Jesus gave his most famous sermon where he said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. This is where he said those words, that you let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, if you've never been, I hope you get a chance to see it someday. A couple of miles away from this place is the city of Chorazin. Now, the city of Chorazin, it's just in ruins today, but it's absolutely a fascinating place to visit. There are ancient ruins there of a synagogue that they've excavated. There are uh, the remains of homes. There is a huge olive press there in Chorazin. It's, it's, it's remarkable to visualize how people in that day operated these things and how they did what they did. But Chorazin is famous because this is one of the communities that Jesus cursed. Now, you may not be familiar with this, but it's found in Matthew chapter 11. And this is what Jesus said. Now, this is what Jesus said about this place. He said, woe to you, Chorazin, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Somebody say, that's hardcore. So we know that Jesus was all over this area and he was there in this community and he even acknowledges that there were miracles done here, but they rejected the Lord. So Jesus acknowledged, look, if, you, if, you would have, if these same miracles that I performed here would have been performed in other places, those other places would have repented, but this town, they didn't. These people rejected Jesus. And so Jesus is like, woe to you, woe to you. 
um, when you visit Corzine today, like I said, it's, it's just ruins. And there's this sign that's hanging um, nearby the synagogue that they've excavated. And this sign reads this. It's a great sign. It reads, its synagogue here in Corzine has more than once heard the word of God. And just think about what this sign, whoever wrote this sign is acknowledging. More than once has heard the word of God out of his mouth and witnessed the miracles that he, Jesus, performed. And then in this sign it reads, this is why all Christians should cherish the ruins of this building. The Messiah's curse had struck it and as witness to their deliberate disregard of his loving grace, the synagogue lays in ruins. It's interesting. It's interesting. Many people believe that this community, Chorazine, the reason it laid waste in ruins over generations, the community fell apart and then was buried and lost is because it's the result of Jesus' curse. Well, as we were standing there amongst the ruins of this city that was cursed by Jesus, and remember, this is not very far away from the Mount of Beatitudes where Jesus gave that famous sermon that you are you know, the light of the world, a city on a hill can't be hidden. Our tour guide, now I'm gonna, what I'm gonna share with you, I'm just taking his word for it, okay? But our tour guide said something to us in that moment as we're standing there uh, amongst the ruins of this city. And he said, most people believe that this community of Chorazim, well, it was the town that Jesus was referring to when he said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. I didn't know that. I'm not even sure that's completely true. I'm just taking his word for it, all right? I'm not an archaeologist. I mean, I'm just a preacher. He lives there. But he said to us, Jesus, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, this community right here, Chorazim, it's built up on a hill, and it's built on, on a hillside on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And, and if you were on the Sea of Galilee and Chorazim had the fires built on their community, you could see that from the sea, he said. All the surrounding communities that were lower than Chorazim, they would know where that community is because it is on a hill, and when they had the fires lit, you could see it from everywhere. It would be impossible. This is what he was saying. It'd be impossible to miss this community. And maybe it was even Jesus when he said, you are a hill that cannot be hidden. He may have even pointed towards Chorazim, and people would have gone, oh, I get it. But what we do know for sure is that when Jesus said those words, those timeless words that have carried through the ages in Scripture, what that is communicating to us is this, that Jesus wants your life to shine like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that you are the light of the world. You have the light of life in you, and what God wants more than anything is for your life to shine amongst the darkness in this world. You are different. You are set apart. Goodness, righteousness, and truth to shine in your life. Now, I want you to know something very interesting about the words of Jesus. In John chapter eight, verse 12, what did he say? He said, I am the light of the world. But what did he say in Matthew 5, 14? You are the light of the world. So not only is Jesus the light of the world, but those who have followed him out of darkness and into the light, they too are the light of the world. So, we come back to this question. God, what do you want from me? God wants you to be a reflector of that light. 
It's much like if you were wearing a reflector vest. Some of you guys wear these when you go biking or if you're out jogging. Some of you need to wear these on your work site. Um, you wear one of these for safety purposes today. It's a very simple thing. Um, the, the vest itself has, has uh, reflector properties, reflective properties to it. So what happens when light hits it? It reflects, doesn't it? So if you're riding your bike and you're wearing one of these vests and the headlights of a car hit your vest, it illuminates you in the darkness and that car knows, oh, I've got somebody on a bike. I need to avoid them. What does God want from me? He wants you to reflect his light. He wants you to stand out. He wants you to be visible in this dark world. There is nothing about our lives that God ever wants to just blend into how the world thinks. He goes, I want, you got the light of life and it should show. You receive that light, let it show to the world. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a light and hides it. No, 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 no. What I want from you is to shine. So I ask you, do you shine? You have the light of life in you, and does it show? So maybe the question isn't, God, what do you want from me to do? Maybe the question is, today, Lord, what do you want me to see? As you interact with your family, what do they see in you? As you interact at work, what do they see? When you interact with your neighbors, what do they see? Do you shine? Coming back to Philippians chapter two, Paul was teaching the church again about the imitating the very nature of Jesus. And we said, well, why do we wanna imitate Jesus? So that, verse 15, we're gonna read it again. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. Friends, I really believe that if our focus is to be a child of God who walks in the light, and that walking in the light is gonna involve goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what my life is gonna be all about. That's our attitude. And I want my life to shine. I promise you, God will reveal his plan in your life. He will show you what he wants you to do. But we gotta start somewhere else. Maybe it's not so much what God wants me to do. What does God want me to see? And does my life shine? This Christmas, as you're sitting around the Christmas tree and you're with your family and you're opening presents and maybe that thought will come to your mind. Lord, oh, I pray that your light will shine in me this Christmas season. Let's not let another Christmas go by where people notice nothing.